Thank you again, Pastor Ricky, <clears throat> praise team, for leading us at time of worship. If you'll take your copy of God's Word, I hope you have it with you. If not, there's one provided in the pew in front of you. And turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11, we'll begin reading in verse 1 in just a moment. Isaiah chapter 11. I've got a question for you. How many of you like waiting? For anything. I mean, let's just be honest, for, for our human nature, our, our tendency, or maybe I should just speak for myself, my wife back there is like, okay, you're going to confess here. We just don't like to wait. We, we especially don't like to wait for things that we know are good. I, I can imagine many of you share memories like I do growing up on Christmas Eve, um, there was just so much excitement, right? Now, now, we understand the true reason for Christmas, but when we're growing up, especially, I'll just be honest, there, there's, a, there's so much excitement, especially on Christmas Eve, because one of the things that you know is waiting on you are gifts. And some of those gifts you've just been thinking about, and you, and you, just, you know that they're, that they're good. And so with all of your might, you laid there, forcing your eyes to shut, trying to think of other things, right? You wanted to, to stop thinking about the good gifts you knew that were there because you just, you just, you were about to burst. Yet, somehow, some way, you waited. Though anxiously, you waited. Waiting's difficult. Waiting, waiting is hard. As the church, we've entered into this season that we sometimes call as Advent. Literally, the word Advent means coming. We've entered into this time, right? Celebration of Christmas, but also thinking about what's to come. This, this season of Advent, it's a, it's a time of preparation and, and expectant waiting. Not only for a celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ that we remember at Christmas, but, but also that expectant waiting for his second coming, knowing that Jesus is coming again. When we think about Advent, we think about all of God's graciousness, we think about all of God's love, we think about all of God's mercy and grace, but ultimately when we think about Advent, we think about his perfect gift. His gift for us and on our behalf. You see, when you walk through the scriptures, all along God has promised an incredible gift to his people. From Genesis to Revelation, God laid out the story of, of his offering a beautiful and precious gift to those who were unworthy and undeserving. We come to the book of Isaiah. The prophet's not only in Isaiah, but throughout all the prophets, they, they begin to explain to the people of God this, this gift that, that God offers to those who will love him, who will trust him, and who will live for his glory. Isaiah chapter 11, begin reading in verse 1. It says, Then a shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. 
The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Jump down to verse 10. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance, and his resting place will be glorious. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I ask that as we dig into your word this morning, that, Lord, you would give us, your people, an excitement, Lord, of, and an expectation, knowing that not only have you done a great work for us, but, Lord, the one who has done that work for us, we will see again. Lord, I ask that this morning, if there's anyone here who's never trusted in Jesus Christ, that, Lord, they would look to him anxiously now. Lord, they would begin to, Lord, to realize the gravity of their own sins, that, Lord, it is our sin that separates us from you, but through the beautiful picture, the beautiful gift of the gospel, you offer salvation to all who will repent and believe. Lord, do a great work in us those who've never trusted in Jesus and do a great work in us, your people. Lord, we might be fully committed, remembering the gift. And then, Lord, doing all that we can to share that gift with others. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We give you our lives, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you come to the book of Isaiah, hear me really quick. It's, it's very important that you understand the context. I like to say context is always key when you're walking through the Bible, trying to understand exactly what these passages mean. Because if you just read some of these verses in and of themselves, if you take just Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 2 and verse 10, and you kind of read it, you can say, man, that's just some kind of weird dream. It just doesn't necessarily seem to make a whole lot of sense. Well, you've got to understand the context of what was happening here. You see, the people of God had repeatedly, habitually, over and over and over and over again, just been disobedient. God had called the children of Israel for a very specific purpose. He, he took the least of the least and said, I'm going to, to show you my glory. I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you many blessings so that then you can take that and share it with all the nations. God chose the least to be a representative to the rest. So all you got to do is live for me. And I will make my name great through you. But they just kept disobeying. Over and over again, for many different reasons, sin continued to enter into the lives of his people. So God used prophets. Prophets like Isaiah to deliver a message of warning, describing the impending judgment that would certainly come if they didn't stop worshiping idols and doing the things that disgraced God. God sent many prophets to his people and said, warn them, tell them that if they don't straighten up, things are going to get really, really bad. You come to the book of Isaiah, and we didn't, we're not going to take the time, but if you read all of chapter 10, you see what the warning really is. God says, look, I'm going to use, I'm going to use a very wicked and evil people. Now, I know we don't like to talk about that today, right? It might sound offensive, but just read the scriptures. And you see that there was a group of people in that time called the Assyrians 
who worshiped false gods and honestly really set themselves up to be gods. They, they were a people who did not care for the rest of the world. In fact, they were, they were warmongers. They, they just wanted power. They wanted glory. They wanted recognition. And, and all the while, they were literally spitting in the face of God. You read Isaiah chapter 10, and you see that sin had begun to obviously just, just creep into the lives of the Israelites again. And honestly, to the point you read Isaiah chapter 1, God, just, God almost kind of threw his hands up in the air. He even said, why, why do you keep praying? Why, why do you keep offering sacrifices? Why, why do you do these things? And you would think the Israelites said, well, God, because you told us to. He, but his point was, why do you keep doing this? When you know, you know your own hearts, you're not seeking after me. You're not coming to worship for the right reason. You really don't love me. You're not pursuing me. You're just going through the motions, Israel. And it got so bad that you come to Isaiah chapter 10. God says, you know what? I'm going to take this wicked people to deliver my judgment on my own people. Now, again, we say, what? what God, why, why would you take a people who obviously are opposed to you in order to deliver your judgment on those who, I mean, come on, God. They're, they're trying to live for you. You read Isaiah chapter 10. And you realize the sovereignty of God. God works in mysterious ways. What we do know is Israel really wasn't trying to live for God. They probably are like we are a lot of times, right? We try to justify our own sins. We justify our own thoughts. Well, really what I just said, is it wasn't that bad. What I just did wasn't as bad as what that guy did. So they were justifying their own sins. And God said, look, I'm done. Isaiah, go to my people and tell them, if you don't straighten up right now, if you don't repent, if you don't return to me, then I'm going to deliver judgment upon you through the Assyrians. You read through the chapter there, you see verse, Isaiah 10, verse 15. I don't have this on the screen, so just kind of look back. And, and, it, and it says here that he's talking about using the Assyrians to deliver his own wrath to the Israelites. And it says, doesn't Acts exalt itself? Because he knew, right, that there was going to ultimately he was going to use Assyria to bring judgment to Israel. But then he knew that he would also then have to judge Assyria. Right? He was using them for his purpose, but ultimately he's like, I'm going to have to judge them too. They were going to begin to exalt themselves. And so Isaiah 10, verse 15, does an axe exalt itself above the one who chops with it? Does a saw magnify itself above the one who saws with it? It would be like a rod waving the one who lifts it. It would be like a staff lifting the one who isn't wood. Can you take an axe and chop down the tree and then lay that axe down and that axe stand up and glorify itself? That's God's point. He's like, I'm going to bring judgment to my people and I'm going to use an axe like the Assyrians. But listen, the axe deserves no glory. It's the one who does the chopping. You go on to the end of chapter 10, verse 33. It says, look, the Lord God of armies will chop off the branches with terrifying power and all the trees will be cut down. The high trees failed. He is clearing the thickets of the forest with an ax, and Lebanon with its majesty will fall. Isaiah is using a picture here of a beautiful forest that God is going to send the Assyrian army into as an ax. And he's just going to chop everything down. 
He's going to chop it all down. Now, growing up in the woods, I know I grew up in Alabama, way out. I'm not talking about, I'm, I'm talking about I grew up in the woods, in the sticks. And, and for high school, you got to take ag classes. And one of the classes that I took that I actually really loved was forestry. It was such a big deal for us. I mean, I, I was on, a, I was on a, a forestry competition team that won, a, a, won one state. I mean, it was, I loved forestry. In fact, I thought at one point I would go into forestry. One of the things I know about forestry is this. I've spent a lot of time in the woods and working in the woods and hunting in the woods and enjoying the woods. One of the things I know about hunting and one of the things I know about forestry is that, you know, you can walk into an area of woods that really just, there's not much productivity there, right? You, you look at the woods and yes, they might seem pretty, but there's a lot of undergrowth and there's some things that, that really the trees are, are kind of scraggly and, and it's just, it's, it's not of much value, in the mind of a forester, you look at that and you say, okay, there's one option. Here's the option. You know what it is? Clear cut. Cut the whole thing down. And then even use what we call prescribed burning. You burn it. You cut it down. You burn it. But then you do the next thing. You replant it. I've been around certain tracts of land long enough to see exactly that happen. A forestry team come in, take a piece of land that had some wood on it, and just not a lot of undergrowth and not be very pretty, and they just cut the whole thing. They clear cut it, and then they burn it. They prescribe burn it, and then they plant it. And I've been around some of those tracts of land now for over 30 years. And those places that once were just barren and had just a little bit of scraggly growth now have these beautiful majestic trees growing all over. And it's gorgeous. You see... Isaiah, inspired by God, was one of those prophets who delivered a very difficult message to the children of God. Like we, we don't deny that. We understand that this was a difficult message. God said, if you don't straighten up, I will judge you. I'm going to send a Syrian and they're going to cut it all down. They will do away with all of it. Yet even in the midst of that difficult message, you see a message of hope. You say, what, really? Did we see it? Yes. Pick back up in verse, chapter 11, verse 1. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. Right? I'm going to cut it all down. I'm going to burn it. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to judge it. But then out of that stump, promise of life will be resurrected. A promise of life will begin to grow again. Even though it was a difficult message, even though Isaiah had to warn of God's punishment for their evil actions, he used the beautiful imagery, the promise of life. This message of hope came when Isaiah spoke of the stump of one family tree from God's people, where a shoot would sprout forth and grow again. He promised, right? God had promised from the beginning. God had kept renewing his promise to his people. God had ultimately had given a promise to a king named David, that David, upon your throne, a king will come who will reign forever and ever and ever. In the history of context here, you see this unfolding. The Israelites now have turned against God once again. Yet God had promised to David 
Upon your throne, David, someone, there will be a king who will come and reign forever and ever and ever. So we find ourselves in Isaiah chapter 11, where God's people are faced with his certain judgment again. Yet in the midst of that judgment, he says, I'm going to bring life. The king would come from the stump, from the family roots of David, and he would reign forever and ever. Now, as you read this, you might think, okay, we're really, did the children of Israel really understand? Did these, did these people of Judah, did they really uh, uh, actually comprehend what the prophet was saying? Was it clear ultimately? Well, it gets even clearer. Isaiah chapter 7, you will see this on the screen. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here, I mean, the, 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 the prophet is Isaiah is saying, look, you, just open your eyes, people. I mean, if you walk through Isaiah and you walk through all of Scripture up to this point, you realize that God has repeatedly given his people signs of his grace, of his faithfulness. Even though they struggled, even though they failed, even though they committed sins, God repeatedly over and over again said, well, let me show you my goodness. And he began just to continue to reveal the unfolding of the beautiful promise to the point where he even says, I'm going to put a king on the throne of David forever and ever. Okay, God, that's great. Who is it? One of these days you're going to see a virgin will conceive and have a son you need to make sure you open your eyes and realize who he is. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. Did they all see? No. Isaiah continues to prophesy. Isaiah chapter 9, you'll see on the screen, verse 2. And then verses 6 through 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Jump down to verse 6. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. His kingdom will reign forever and ever. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. You got it? Can you see it? The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. We benefit being on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ. We see in the New Testament where many of these passages here are referenced. It's, it's given to us and it's spoken to us through God, through the Holy Spirit, so that we can see what, what this passage really is all about. John chapter 1, you'll see it on the screen, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him, listen church, come in real close. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. The very light that Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9, that we've been walking in darkness, but now a, light, a great light has shone. Who is that light? His name is Jesus. His name is Emmanuel. His name is God with us. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. 
Paul, relying on these same scriptures, references Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, he has rescued us from the, from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Church, the people of God were excited. Even though they had stumbled, even though they had fallen, even though they had failed time and time again, they were excited about a promised gift because it actually had been promised from the beginning all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. God's people who were the holders of his word and who proclaimed his word, who loved his word, knew that God had a gift that he was going to offer them. Then Christmas morning came. And that promised gift became a reality. That gift we see in the New Testament for clarification is the light of men spoken of in Isaiah chapter 9. That gift is the light of men that brings life. Have you ever opened that gift before? Have you ever seen Jesus Christ for who he truly is? You see, there's a funny thing about light and darkness. They don't really like each other, right? They can't coexist. When you're in complete darkness, you can't see anything. But when you flip on the light switch, darkness flees. Jesus Christ is the light of men that brings life, that brings salvation, that brings brings God's love, mercy, and grace. You see, God's people, even in the Old Testament and all along, we've struggled with sin and and we've done things that ultimately is a characteristic of darkness. But when you and I see Jesus Christ for who he truly is and we repent of our sins and we trust in him, we receive life everlasting in the form of the light of Jesus. So that when he enters into our life, it begins to reveal all that filthiness, all that darkness to the point where we just continue to live our lives for the glory of God, asking him to cleanse us and to forgive us, repenting of our sins daily. You see, Jesus Christ is the light of men who brings the light of salvation for anyone who will confess their sins and trust in him. Have you opened that gift? Have you ever seen Jesus for who he truly is? If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior Lord, hear me, you're going to continue to wait anxiously for something. Our tendency in this world is to to look for pleasure here and there and sex and money and and power and prestige. We look for for wholeness and completeness in, in so many other places, but the Scripture teaches us that there's only one. There's only one who can fill that void in our lives, and his name is Jesus. You're looking for a gift. You're wanting something that will bring you eternal satisfaction. And you're looking in so many other places and there's only one who can bring it. His name is Jesus. Have you opened that gift? Do you know him? Have you repented of your sins? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Have you called upon his name in order to be saved? If you've never done it, today is the day. Don't wait any longer. Trust in Him.
Trust in the one that all of scripture points to. Trust in the one that God's prophets spoke of. Trust in the one who died on the cross for your sins. Trust in the one who's going to come again. Trust in Jesus. Have you opened that gift? Have you realized that he is the light of men that brings salvation to all who will believe? This is a two-part gift. Beautiful thing here, even in Isaiah, you continue to walk throughout all the scriptures. The second part of this gift looks a little different. The promise of this Messiah, that he would reign forever and ever, if we, if we stop at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you'd think, okay, well, that's just it, right? It's, it's, it's done and it's over. But we know the scriptures teach us that now he has ascended to the right hand of the Father and he's taken this place on the throne and that one of these days he's going to return again. You see, the scriptures teach us that, that Jesus Christ is coming to this earth again. When I was young, you know, I couldn't look at my gifts when they were wrapped because I knew that I'd get in trouble, right? But, but I got really good at doing something. In fact, it drives my family nuts today. I can take a gift. You just, you just got to keep practicing, right? Yeah, I can take a gift and I can look at it. I can fill it. I can kind of shape, size it up. But I can get it like this and I can do this. Anybody out there? Gift shakers? And I'm telling you, man, I, I, my family gets frustrated because there's so many times I can get that gift and I can shake it and I'll say, it's a, and you can ask my kids, I'm right a lot. I've gotten so good at just shaking it and feeling it and, and listening to it that, that ultimately I can, I can say, all right, here's what the gift is without even opening it up. Listen. you hear it? Did you hear it? Did you remember it? We just read it. First Corinthians chapter 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. That's it. That's the second part of the gift. That Jesus is coming again. The God of the universe who spoke the world into existence, who's always been God, Jesus, who just spoke and the world was there, was born of a virgin, in a, in a cave in, in reality, in, in a manger, which in Bethlehem was just a, it's just a, a hole in a rock where, where animals were sleeping and eating and doing a lot of other nasty things. The God of the universe, born in a manger by a virgin, lived a perfect life, did some incredible things, never sinned, never brought dishonor to his own family, but obviously never brought dishonor to God himself. 
ultimately found himself on a hill in Jerusalem where he was treated like a criminal nailed to a cross for your sins and mine, dying in our place, placed into a tomb, and praise God because the prophets even spoke it, arose one day, spent some time, right, walking with his disciples, and then a few days later, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And we know, according to the Scriptures, that that very God who died on the cross for your sins and mine, who's now sitting at the right hand of the Father, is coming again one day. The gift just keeps on giving. The gift doesn't get any better. Jesus is coming again. So I have a question for you. Are you ready? This Jesus, the last king to sit on David's throne, has loved and obeyed God perfectly. He's done for God's people what you and I could not do for ourselves. And he's coming to bring us home. You and I, when we trust in Jesus Christ, we become co-heirs with Jesus. There's no greater gift than that. We receive salvation. We receive gifts. We receive blessing. We receive the promise of eternal life. And all of it is based on who Jesus is. Not who you are. Not who I am. Praise God. For you who's never trusted in Jesus, not even dependent upon you. You say, well, I, I, there's no way God can love me. You're right. You're, you're not deserving of it. But God proves his love towards us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. I'm not deserving of it. Neither am I. None of us are. But God offers a free gift of salvation. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And for the church... We rejoice in that gift, knowing that he's coming again. Season of Advent is a time that we prepare our hearts, remembering the life of Christ, the birth of Christ, but anxiously waiting for him to come again. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I ask that as we, Lord, just draw this time to a conclusion now, that, Lord, you would truly speak to our hearts. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who's never trusted you, I pray, Lord, that today would be the day they surrender their life to you. But Lord, today would be the day that they trust in you fully. Lord, I ask that, that Lord, right now, this, as they're wrestling with the reality of who you are, that, Lord, the Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts, that you would draw them near to you, that they would repent of their sins, turn from those sins, run from those sins, confess them to you, and call out upon the name of the Lord Jesus in order to be saved. Lord, for we, your people, for your church, Lord, we, we're reminded that we're not worthy. We're, we're just like we're the ones who continuously break the covenant. We're the ones who continuously break the promise over and over again, yet you, being rich in love and grace and mercy, pour out your love upon us. Lord, I pray that you would help us as, as your people to just continue to remember 
Lord, the sacrifice she paid on our behalf, that, Lord, we would, we would remember that you're coming again. And so, Lord, that would energize and motivate us, Lord, to each and every day deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow after you, that, Lord, we would be a people who, who are, Lord, who are pursuing after you and fleeing from sin. Lord, we fight the sins we can fight and we flee from those we must flee from. Lord, knowing that the power of sin has been broken, that we can live our lives for your glory. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to live our lives for you. Lord, as we enter this time of Advent, Lord, we continue to prepare ourselves. And Lord, we continue to remember. We continue to expect your coming. Lord, we rejoice in your first coming and we, and we long for your second. Lord, help us just to be a people. That through this season, remember what Christmas is all about. And Lord, help us to be a people who just surrender our lives to you. Lord, be with us now. Move in our hearts. Do a work in us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord.